Hi, this is Kaylee. I'm a violence prevention coordinator at UCI CARE. Hi, I'm Melissa. I'm also a violence prevention coordinator at UCI CARE. And you're listening to The Narrative Project. Hello and welcome back to The Narrative Project. Today we will be continuing our conversation on undocumented survivors. We'll quickly reintroduce ourselves with our names, pronouns, affiliation, and where we're calling from today, as well as a description of ourselves. Hi everyone, my name is Dong Ann and my pronouns are she, her, hers and I'm an advanced field studies intern with the care office and I'm calling from my Irvine apartment and I have black hair that is down and I'm wearing a beige t-shirt and some baggy purple sweats. I'll pass it to Catherine. Hi everyone, my name is Catherine. My pronouns are she, her. I am a volunteer intern with UCI CARE. I'm calling from my on-campus um, apartment today at UCI, and I'm wearing a black t-shirt, and I have long brown hair. So related to the question before in the previous episode in regard to some of the unique circumstances and risks that undocumented survivors face, what are some reasons why undocumented survivors are hesitant to come forward? So for example, reporting, making a case, seeking support, etc. So according to womenslaw.org, another, another way that abusers who are U.S. citizens and lawful permanent residents can target undocumented immigrants is through their ability to sponsor or to refuse to sponsor the immigrant survivor for the legal status. They can use this control as a weapon against their victims to keep them from reporting abuse. For instance, if, abused, if an abused immigrant survivor reports domestic violence, their abusive sponsor may call or threaten to call U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services to tell them that their marriage was a fraud and that they want to withdraw their sponsorship. Yeah, that's a pretty good, that is a very like, like I, I don't know how common it is, but I have seen it where um, they get married and Sometimes it is like they're already like an established relationship, but they do get married faster for um, for the benefits of, you know, having giving one of the giving one of the partners a like, permanent residency and stuff makes not makes sense. Not a good thing. But like I can see how like they could definitely turn that around and use it against them because it puts them at the position of power. Yes. I've also seen it in my life as well. And this is a pretty, it's pretty interesting to see it mentioned since it's something that I've seen folks in my life talk about. And I think we've also seen a little bit about the media representation for this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like for example, 90 Day Fiance, Catherine, do you watch 90 Day Fiance? I've watched like a little bit of it And sometimes a lot of people like in the comments and like the general population, when it's like a really, when it seems like the person, one person is really not liking the other person and that person is typically from America, Mm -hmm. then they're like, oh, like he or she is only trying to date this person for a green card. Like they're only using you for a green card. So I think it's very interesting to see how like maybe our media 
and like Americans media and perception is saying that it's almost like, oh, it's the survivors or it's the undocumented folks who are using these people for a green card. Yeah. But there's never any media representation really of undocumented survivors, which I think is a topic that we can almost touch on briefly is that at least for me, I rarely, if ever, see like almost like a a realistic or just any representations of undocumented survivors in shows and medias, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting for me to see that how, at least in the U.S., there's that mindset of, oh, they're using you for the green card, but the idea of undocumented survivors might seem a little like something that is less known about if that makes sense yeah like the undocumented survivor or the undocumented immigrant is um using the other person rather than the other Mm -hmm. person is using this tactic to control the undocumented person yeah so it's very interesting like obviously i guess 90 day fiance (laughs) it's it's a very different scenario where you know I guess it would make sense to see that but it's very interesting for me that there's more media representation of this flip side Mm -hmm. rather than say any media representations on undocumented survivors and what it's like being one which I think is why there's a lot of folks who might not be aware of the risks and of the higher vulnerability that this community has. I'd also like to note, Catherine, um, that back to what you were saying before. Mm-hmm. So there's a Violence Against Women's Act, the VAWA, and through VAWA, an abused immigrant can self-petition for legal permanent residence, or they can get or get this battered spouse waiver to remove the abusive spouse from the process of changing a conditional green card Mm -hmm. to a 10-year green card. So that is a great resource for anyone who is listening and they know someone or they themselves are looking for ways where they can almost be like, so what can I do to help? This is one of those ways. Yeah, like the VAWA, um, the thing you just brought up, Diane, is it's a good, like a lot of this, um, I've even seen like on TikTok where it's like things like, like um, undocumented immigrants should know. And it's really helpful information. It's like good to know. But it's hard because at the end of the day, like no one wants to necessarily go through the whole like reporting system, mm-hmm. the legal system to report. Um and a lot of cases you need like an immigration, like an, an immigration lawyer, immigration attorney, I'm not sure what the what the name is. But um, it's always, I feel like a lot of people are just like, oh, like they could just do this. Just, but at the end of the day, it's like money to hire the attorney. It's, right. Um, taking, it's trying to like, get out of that um I'm trying to get over that fear of the legal system and working with um you know like the law and stuff to report it it takes a lot out of someone rather than just knowing something if that makes sense um and I think that that makes it harder too although I like it is optimistic when you find like 
information that can can be useful. Um, it's just something to note that for people who aren't experienced with it um, or have never seen anyone have to have to deal with it. Like it is more than just knowing something and reporting. Right. Yeah, I really love that you brought that up. And I think that it, it almost like brings back to the idea again of intersectionality, which I did want to touch a little bit on for folks who maybe aren't aware of what the intersectionality theory is and what it's about, because we have sort of been talking about it, but not really defining it. But basically, the intersectionality theory was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a framework for understanding how the aspects of a person's social and political identities combined with different modes of discrimination and privilege can really put some of us at advantages and maybe some of us at a disadvantage. So it takes into an account of all of these intersecting and overlapping social identities and see how it might either empower or oppress us, depending on, obviously, where we're at. Um, but I think what's important to mention about it is that it also affects how trauma might look different for some folks and how maybe a survivor um, of different identities might look different. So in this case, an undocumented survivor is at a much higher risk of vulnerability as we talked about before. And as you mentioned, there's like that trauma of reliving through the violence, but also having this fear that nothing will come from them reporting it, you know? Yeah. And I think another thing to mention too is like with the resource of VAWA, the Violence Against Women's Act, it's sort of like those things that they don't really know unless someone else is relaying this information to them. Like for me, I know that a lot of folks who I know who are um, immigrants, refugees, or even undocumented folks, mm -hmm. it's like they don't really know that there is a system set in place unless someone says, oh, this is a resource that you can go to. Of course, they might not be like, yes, let me do it. Let me go. It's not 100% certainty that they'll reach for that resource or they'll use that resource. But I think most of the times, maybe they don't even know or they're not aware of these resources because there is that language barrier and there is the barrier of these, um, the barrier of just news in general, in the sense that like they don't get these news unless it's someone relaying it to them. I don't know if you've seen the same thing. It's sort of like they don't know that there's this service unless of someone like their, ch their child or like a relative's like, oh, hey, like, did you know that there was a service and they can support you if you ever go through this? Yeah. Like, I think it's very that. Like, for me, I never even knew that FAWA existed. So I guess, mm -hmm. and as for me, it's like, if I don't know, then how will these folks know? Like, are there people actively promoting and telling them, you know? Yeah. And I feel like obviously there kind of isn't. So there's that other barrier to raising that gap of communication, I feel like, and communicating these resources to these folks rather than just having it, but these folks aren't being aware of it so they can't access it. Something that comes to mind, like when you're saying that, like I think of like um, 
like parents or so, so I think of like my parents um who aren't undocumented but I can see how like I might have to tell them things that they wouldn't know otherwise because they're not on social media um English isn't their primary language so it's unfortunate how um like news outlets in Spanish maybe aren't the best source of information they don't really cover the things that are like relevant at least from like what I've seen um and so when there is like for example like the um the at-home COVID test that they were giving out to people in LA County or something right um they didn't know about it really I had to tell them about it and then with that you know we were able to move forward but it's just something like um there needs to be a way to cater to everyone and every um like news outlet if that makes sense um, I definitely agree because you know when they're watching they're watching like Univision Telemundo like mm-hmm. it's all like oh this person like there was a shooting at whatever whatever which is like you know news but it's it's not gonna necessarily like Like, it's not what people need right now. Like, people need to be informed on what's happening and what what organizations are there to help them. Yes. I definitely agree with you. Like, I've been throughout this <laughs> entire, <laughs> entire two episodes. But for sure. And I totally relate with you as well. My mom, who, um, she watches a lot of Vietnamese news stations it's also the same thing they're always very much reporting on covid news um or like violence news mm-hmm. but less about like i've never seen her say oh dong yeah look this is a resource i found for um if i like ever go through this or if i ever um need like some legal assistance and i think that that's very interesting to see these similarities overlap So I definitely agree with you. I think that, I think it's interesting because I think for me on my end, I do get a lot of media because I am on social media. I do see a lot of things like, oh, this is how you can help undocumented folks. This is how you can, these are some resources that can help folks who are undocumented. And like, I see them. So I relay it, the information to who whoever I see. And I think it's yeah. very, very much similar with, your experience, Catherine, it's me or, you know, my siblings who have to tell my parents about these resources because they aren't on social media. And even if they were, they probably wouldn't be getting those things in their algorithm, I feel like. So I think that there's something that needs to be done in the sense of bridging that gap and making it more accessible and promoting it. Because for me, I come from Fresno, And because Fresno doesn't have a big Vietnamese population, sometimes we also get, for example, important like documents mm-hmm. and there's no Vietnamese translation, for example. Yeah. Then I'm the one who has to be put in the position to like translate it or my siblings. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, Bob, I'm not, I can't translate insurance papers in Vietnamese. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just, no, like I can't do that. Like it's not going to be right. And I think sometimes maybe it's the same situation here, you know, like I might be able to tell someone who 
has an undocumented status, like, look, here's VAWA here, or here's another resource that you can use, or here's an advocate. But then you'd have to take that next step of explaining what is an advocate? What, who, who are care advocates? What do they do? By translating that, if there's a language barrier or if, if there's no one or no paperwork that has translations for you. So it's always like taking that extra step when I think that in the first place, there should already be translations available. There should already be, you know, something to almost bridge that communication to the best of our ability. Mm -hmm. Please, I just ranted. No, because you're right. Like, um, we live in LA, like LA, Mm -hmm. like South Central LA. So there's a huge Hispanic population and yet, they would still have me trying to translate like legal documents at like 10 years old and then get mad when I can't. Um, They definitely need to um, keep saying this, but they definitely need to cater a lot better to populations, even if it's not a heavy population in that area. I feel like you don't lose a lot to um, by like, you know, providing translation. Mm-hmm. or at least providing them with the option of requesting a translation right I definitely agree so what are some resources that can help undocumented survivors whether this is legal or support services so you will find some special resources and documents for those who are fearing deportation on Assista's website so we have linked this in our medium article so feel free to go to medium.com and that's where you can go to UCI Care and this episode will have our, and this episode will have this information for you to access. But Asista's website is A-S-I-S-T-A help.org. So I'll just repeat it in case some folks are looking this up. It's A-S-I-S-T-A help.org. And this is basically a very great and useful website where it has a lot of different petitions, samples for, um, so for example, some of the things here is if someone is challenging survivors removal of immigration court, there's a motion for contempt. There's the VAWA that we talked about that's in here um, and a survivor safety and immigration policy that has been updated to 2016, but I think there should be more updates in there. So there's a lot of resources that um, is on the website for folks to use. And on top of that, an undocumented survivor or an immigrant survivor of violence can also contact their local advocates and shelters to see what other options may be available. And typically this is this is good for folks who are too scared to take that jump straight to reporting and instead speak to an advocate and have that support service first and see what options they want to pursue. So if you do not find what you need in your community, you can also call one of these national hotlines for support. So there's the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and that's 1-800-799-SAFE. Or there's the National Sexual Assault Hotline, which is 800-656-HOPE. So there are these two national hotlines, which is also listed down in our Medium articles for your convenience. 
So now I'll pass it to Catherine to talk a little bit more about specifically UCI care advocates and what care advocates do and how they can support and be a great resource for both general survivors as well as undocumented survivors. So for the UCI care um, office, which is mainly for UCI students and people affiliated with UCI, um, one point I like to emphasize is that they are not mandated reporters. So everything you tell them stays completely confidential. Unlike some other staff here where they have to report any type of sexual assault, any type of violence, this stays completely between you and the advocate. And the ball's in your court. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. The advocates, they just pretty much guide you doing whatever you decide to do in the first place. So you don't need to report it. To, you don't need to do a police report. You don't need to get um, a medical examination if you don't want to. It's whatever you want to do. And they just provide you with those options. And that goes the same with undocumented survivors as well. They are not affiliated with um, deportation or even UCIPD and things like that. Yeah, that's a great resource, Catherine, especially for folks who are listening and they are UCI students or affiliates. Um, Additionally, I do want to bring up the UCI Dream Center, which strives to serve the needs of undocumented students with a holistic approach. And they state that they recognize that our students, so UCI students, have a unique set of experiences, challenges, and responsibilities as first-generation low-income and undocumented. Their services help students manage the academic demands of UCI, gain professional experience, and pursue personal developments. So some of the support that they give is academic support, social support, as well as professional development. So some of these are great where, for example, that in their social support, they have the Sapphire Students Advocating for Immigrant Rights and Equity, and they can provide you resources and support that promote a safe environment for undocumented folks and um, also raise awareness regarding to the issues that the undocumented community face and diversifying this image, this image of the undocumented student identity. So this is also another great campus resource if the folks who are tuning in today are students or affiliated with UCI. And I think it's great to mention, like Catherine did before, that these services are confidential and they are free, which is the greatest parts, greatest, yeah, the greatest points. Um, So leading, I think, into our last question and just wrapping up on our conversation today is really understanding how we maybe as an individual or as a group can help support undocumented survivors or what we think we can or what we think we can do to support undocumented survivors. So for me, a way that I think we personally can support undocumented survivors and folks, um, like we stated before, A lot of the things that we can do as, I think, a youth, I think as this new cohort coming in, is really to raise awareness and volunteer for organizations or for events that are promoting awareness, promoting equity um, with these issues. And using social media as actually a great tool 
to not only spread awareness, but find resources and share these resources to our communities and to undocumented survivors, letting them know that, hey, you're you're not alone. Like there is this resource, there is this act, or there is this, you know, something that can make them feel at ease and that they are supported. Um, so being aware that there is this community who is more vulnerable, who is at risk and acting upon it with compassion, I think is a great way. And, but I think for, for me, those are a couple of the main things that I think we can do on an individualized level. So like volunteering or using social media as a good tool, relaying that information, trying to bridge that, that gap of communication and language barrier, as well as just being aware and making sure that other folks are aware as well, uh, which is why I am an intern at the care office, because I know that the care office is actively supporting and yeah, is actively supporting this community. And just being compassionate, I think, is a big one. I feel like I couldn't have said that better. <laughs> But no, you're right. <laughs> yeah, no, you said that really well. I completely agree. I think that um, overall, it's just like a safe space. And I think that's what people need now, especially in college, somewhere where you don't have to like worry about like people telling like what you've been through and stuff and like speaking out on your experiences. I agree, Catherine. Cultivating that safe space is very important. Thank you for coming out here and sharing your thoughts and experiences. I appreciate your vulnerability and willingness to create this space. On that note, this marks the end of our discussion here. Uh, to everyone listening, this is just a start. Please carry on this conversation at home and among friends. For more discussion on similar topics and exploring lived experiences, join us back here on the Narrative Project podcast. If you enjoy the conversation, please tune into the podcast, which will begin streaming in the summer on Spotify, Anchor, and YouTube. Our Instagram is at UCI Care for updates, programs, and more. Thanks for tuning into the Narrative Project podcast. We hope you all enjoyed the dialogue we had today. Please remember, should you need support from the care office, please call us at 949-824-7273 or email us at care at uci.edu. Our services are available to UCI students, staff, and faculty members Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The UCI Counseling Center can also be accessed at 949-824-6457 and offers 24-hour access to counselors by phone. Waymaker's 24-hour hotline at 949-831-9110 for South Orange County or 714-957-2737 for North Orange County provides resources and referrals for survivors of sexual assault. Human Options 24-hour hotline at 877-854-3594 provides resources safety, and support for individuals experiencing relationship abuse. For those outside of Orange County, the National Sexual Assault Hotline can be reached at 1-800-656-4673 or through online chat at rain.org for resources and referrals for survivors of sexual assault. 
And the National Domestic Violence Hotline can be reached at 1-800-799-7233 or through online chat at thehotline.org for resources and referrals for individuals experiencing relationship abuse. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please be sure to share it with someone you know and join us for our next conversation. Bye for now. Thank you.